Welcome to the Artelligence Podcast. I'm Marion Manneker, and we're going to explore the mysteries of the global art market. JP Anglin, you have been uh, at Phillips for a number of years now with Ed Dolman. I believe you, you joined together from uh, the Museums Authority in Qatar, correct? Um, actually, Ed came earlier uh, to Philips. I, I stayed, I think Ed started in 2014, and I actually stayed in Qatar until 2015 to specifically finish the um, Richard Serra installations and the Luke Thurman's retrospective um, that happened in October uh, 2015. So I, I, I came, um, I guess, a year later. And so that means you're into your fourth year now at Phillips. Correct. Yeah, I came. Ed had a um, when when basically for family reasons we wanted to move back to the west. Um, Ed basically approached me asking if together with some old friends, as I jokingly said, you know, get the bad band back together and um, and start to do something new and have an. Um, have an adventure uh, and and make um, Phillips a, a a better house. I've worked with Ed since 1995 at Christie's also, and as he is a very inspirational leader, um, and has been you know always um, a great mentor. It, it was a very simple decision to basically go ham, and I could see the vision of what was possible with um, with Phillips. And that it it was something exciting, and and as Qatar was a very exciting time, and um, um, you know working for Sheikh Al Miyasha, who is who is very inspirational, um, it was um, you know I th- I thought that a I wanted to go back to New York to be at the heart of the art world again, and b that this was uh, this was a challenge, and this was slightly out of the um, out of the ordinary. So now, four years on, we're beginning a a bit of a new phase for Philips. You've announced uh, several new um, colleagues are joining the firm. Before we talk about the strategy and the new hires, I thought we should focus first on uh, the May sales, uh, particularly the Fittering collection that is uh, in many ways a a turning point for the house. Could you tell us a little bit more about that? Yes, I think that by um, by making the team better and and create a, a a bigger team, a better team, more experienced team, um, having a great day sale team already there. Um, we started to be involved in, you know, every season we feel that we're involved in more conversations. Now, you're not going to win, you know, as I say, you're not going to win the playoffs in your first seasons, most likely. Um, So you you, you need a lot of practice and you need need some losses in order to get to a win. And and we felt that every time we were getting closer to, to land one of the big collections, that tend to dominate the season. And um, we were extremely, you know, fortunate. And I think to, at the same time, um, um, I think it was a complete confidence in what we've been, or a vote of confidence of what we've been doing at Philips that um, the Fitterman um, collection is now being sold with us. And it's 
the, probably the biggest collections that we are offering in the last 20 years. So definitely in the new area since the Mercury Group um, owned um, or owns Philips. So that's a major step. Um, we see that as a major step forward again. Every time it's about making steps and building trust and building confidence. I think that you know the market confidence we've we, we've shown that in those last three years. Um, I always had a vision that when big collectors come here, I rather spend them the time that they spend there should be well spent. I rather have them spend less time, but quality time than more time, and and they wonder why they're here. And I think we've been building our auctions every season and be been good editors. And the selection became stronger and stronger. And I think that this has now um, been recognized. And uh, I think this is a testament to that. And not only Fitterman, I mean, we should speak about Fitterman, also Matt Dyke. And we had other, um, you know, wins in the past when Tommy Hilfiger gave us part of his collection. So we, we have had had collections, but of this this is sort of an, a new magnitude for us. Um and this is so. This is a group that is around um, 60 million, sort of in, in excess over 60 million. We say it's about uh, 95 works that we will offer um, uh, here in New York, London, Hong Kong. So we will sell it throughout the year. And the main highlights, basically, the the the, the filaments really collected pop, and they were uh, you know started to collect in the 60s. And um, they, a lot of the works are surrounded like Liechtenstein, Warhol, and um, Calder. And we have basically, and maybe we can speak about our new space later, 432, but we specifically for this group, we have uh, temporarily um, um, redecorated the cube on 56th Street and Park Avenue and have made that into a filament space. So that space is completely dedicated to the filament collection. And when people come and see, they basically can see everything together. So it's the evening sale and the day sale. And chasing after collections has become much more important in the way the business works these days, either just because there's a whole generation of collectors that are reaching maturity or have died recently or there's a sort of change in the business whereas uh, a big collection was um, relevant to the business of uh, most of the time over the last uh, 20 years it seems like they are dominating the sales uh, in a new way uh, in the last uh, two or three years um, yes, absolutely. And what was or what is also interesting is that um, a lot of the advisors that are involved in the collections are, you know, our friends or at one time colleagues. You know, whether it's um, uh, Brett Gorvey or Laura Paulson. Um, so we all know each other. We know each other's strengths and weaknesses. So I think that that um, makes the conversations easier. And um, and I think these these what I've noticed is that when I came here four years ago, the that sort of 
the, as I mentioned earlier, the level of involvement in discussions have have completely changed. And you know, there have been uh, yes, there have been collections where we've not been invited, or there have been collections where we said maybe this is not totally us. But I do think that we have played to our strength, that we came close in um, on many occasions. Specifically this season, I felt a few collections actually could have gone our way. And for whatever reason it was, that didn't happen. But I'm super delighted that Dyke happened and that Fiddleman happened. And I'm, I'm, I'm absolutely convinced that... Um, that 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 will continue, and that we will win more collections, and that people are very comfortable with the level of focus that we can give these collections. Because you know, once we have a collection here, you'll be certain that you're you know right in front of everything. Basically, you know, we can really make you the center of that um, of our season, and I think that has been appealing and I think that was appealing in the case of Fitterman for example and even for for Dyke um, for the state of Mad Dyke where uh, you know we've been we've been building up our profile uh, on Basquiat over the last season obviously over the last seasons obviously um, with us working exclusively and extremely close with the Basquiat estate um, our relationship from our great colleague Scott Nussbaum is extremely close with the estate and has, has developed this um, relationship with Phillips uh, that the Basquiat family now have. That resulted in a great result for Flexible. And you know, on the back of that, we are being recognized as, as a house that is extremely strong with, uh, with Basquiat. And so we have been able to build on those successes. In a similar case, the Mark Redford, you know, Helter Skelter that we sold from John McEnroe's collection. Um, we put it central to us. It was very clear for everybody. We put it in London. Um, it was not to be missed. And uh, we were honored that uh, the Broad Museum bought um, Helter Skelter 1. And on the back of that, we now offer Helter Skelter 2. So I, I think you need stepping stones. And and you you don't go from from one um, uh, from one level to the next. You know you don't go from for, you, you you need to make steps and and it's about making steps to to finally reach that level where where we really compete for all the major collectors uh, for all the major collections and where we can absolutely be certain that we can land them. You you mentioned earlier the cube and featuring all of Fitterman together in the cube, uh, without getting into fully into the whole new space, uh, both the offices and the exhibition space uh, uh, in between the buildings. Um, can you talk about the role in having a sort of a marquee? Uh, venue for uh, estates? Is that something they are looking for? Or is that just a value add you bring to them? I think that's a, I think it's a, it, it always comes back and we, I mean, we talk with the team a lot about who we are and what we can do and, and, and where our strengths are. And I think that, that, that making that cube and, and, and giving the focal point to collections, um, I think that's really, you get top-class people here, you know, whether it's Miti Hyben, Cheyenne Westphal, Robert Manley, Hugues Joff, you know, now David Norman, Scott, you know, Art Daysil team, John and Rebecca, you know, everybody is really, 
we're all trying to make this company better every day and and make certain that 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 you don't get lost you know this is a big city with a lot of art on view and how do we make certain that in those two weeks you're going to get the the limelight that you deserve and um and i think that 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 is what we are um, trying to do now I think that architecture is a very important part of that. Um, um, architecture is, I mean, uh, my congratulations to Per Skarstedt, who opened a beautiful gallery on 64th Street, the old Wildenstein space. Now, you know, if you see how art looks in that space, um, um, it's, Per is still the same, but the whole perception is completely changing by him taking that space. And I think that, um, and so therefore architecture has a real function. And um, and we recognize that we, you know, in order to, again, make an additional step, um, we, you know, we, we need a new, a, a new architecture, you know, we need a new, a new spatial environment. And, um, you know, people, tend to forget. They look at Philips as a young and hip uh, contemporary house. And I think we are you know, young and hip, but at the same time, we've been around for 200 years. You know? and, and, and Mr. Mr. Phillips was the sales clerk to Mr. Christie, and he started his own house. You know, he was a rebel straight from the start, and, but we are a 200-year-old startup. That's how we like to look at ourselves. Well, and, uh, well, that actually that brings me to something that I wanted to touch on before we move on to the young, hip, new people joining, like David Norman. Um, Who is young and hip? David is very young and hip. He's the hippest. Um, the you know one of the big features with with the competition over collections over uh, many years has been the auction houses balance sheet, your ability to offer financial support, guarantees, whatever, to the estates to make it attractive yeah. to sell through you. And I don't think it's a, a slam on Phillips, given your size and all, to say that the that uh, you, you haven't had the largest balance sheet, and so that's put you at a slight disadvantage in those competitions. But it also feels like the way the market has changed, where the sellers now recognize the strength of the market makes the downside protection far less important than the fiduciary responsibility of getting, uh, you know, if not every penny, but, you know, as much of the upside as uh, plausible. Uh, it, it would seem to me that that puts you guys in a bit of a better position to compete for uh, some of these uh, uh, collections. Yeah, I think. I mean, I think that's that's absolutely correct. Well, I think there's two things to that. A is um, yes, there are more collections on the market these days that basically uh, don't want a guarantee. So that that puts us in a great, um, <laughs> you know, that's obviously the easiest to compete for. I think that's one. Um, second thing is, you know, to come back to focus, you know, we, 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 we can, I really strongly believe that we can put um, your collection focal to everything we do, because at the end of the day, you only have one app site, one website, you only have one app, you know, so if you want to put things central, you're not competing with English furniture, 
um, silver, old masters, 19th century paintings. Uh, you know, so we're not competing with that. We only do 20th century and contemporary art. So we can really make everything uh, integral to the collection that, that we are working in that stage. At the same time, when you talk about um, uh, about guarantees, we, you know, at the end of the day, we have not been afraid to walk away from deals where we think that they are becoming in a, in a, at a level that they become dangerous and no longer profitable. Um, at the as you as you very well say, at the end, there, it, we're a business. So, if 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 it makes sense. We're perfectly happy to put um, uh, a guarantee on the table, as we have done, and and we continue to do so. Um, but it, it it has to make sense, basically, at the end of the day. And and we're not doing it just to get world domination. That's not really what we are about. We we we're trying to build um, um, a company with with, with 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 a group of very talented people. I think that's what we're trying to do. Um, it is interesting uh, the way that the um, the push towards market share and to dominate the market, which was so important in a duopoly, um, seems to be less relevant in a three auction house, uh, you know, game where everyone recognizes that each of the three auction houses is not necessarily uh, equally sized. So suddenly dominating the market isn't necessarily the thing that um, uh, is determinative either for if you're a, an estate or for a regular consignment. Yeah, and I also don't understand what the that push for, you know, world dominance I don't think what it gains at the end of the day. I, 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 by the way, I, I've never seen, you know, and I've never seen Coca-Cola and Pepsi competing on price, you know, for world dominance. So I, I, I also didn't really get that whole. Um, so one season you've got fifty-two percent of the market. Who cares? That that seemed to be more ego-driven than, 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 than then to me, that it makes business sense. Yes, I mean, I, I suppose you could make the case that that is how you end up with the Rockefeller and the Ebsworth estates. But we also know that the, that you, you know, you'll have to pay for those as well uh, or take risks as well. So the market share, which costs a lot to maintain, um, isn't necessarily it's a, a built in uh, advantage. Uh, speaking of which, uh, this is probably a good way to transition. You were talking about the value of being focused and yet you have announced in the last two or three weeks uh, two new very senior uh, appointments, David Norman in uh, uh, modern yeah. uh, art on one hand and Elizabeth Goldberg in American art uh, on the other. Uh, and I wonder how you could, can you sort of square the circle there of being focused, but now also building out into these other collecting areas? Yeah, I think that. But well, well, I think with Elizabeth, definitely a new collecting area. But but let's maybe start with David first. Um, 
we have worked with with David on uh, uh, when he started his own company. We 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 we've been in touch um, with David a lot, and um, he was a dear friend, and he was obviously a very well respected colleague of many of my ex Sotheby's colleagues. Um, and um, we we had this push into the earlier 20th century. We felt that if we could get pieces that were of great quality, like we did with the Picasso or with the Matisse, that we or with the Abelbach drawings, you know, that we would would venture into that if the quality was there. Um, we are, as you said earlier, we're a relatively nimble house, and we now had the opportunity to bring David on board full time. Um, and we thought that would really um, we would really benefit from that in those areas. So if the quality is there, um, uh, David obviously has, is a great salesperson, is a great scholar, and has a great moral compass that basically fits our team. And um, so we would be crazy not to dive on that opportunity. Where we can, we'll definitely go for great Picasso, great Matisse, Marguerite, um, um, and, and we've already done that. And we, 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 we will continue to do so. And we think that we only became stronger. The, so many things, we're in a people's business. You know, however much you like algorithms and computer programs, our business is, you know, no doubt they're useful tools, but at the same time, we're a people business. And there's many, many collectors that basically have incredible confidence in the person and the specialist, David Norman. And um, and the fact that we can bring that on board and that we that he will join our team and have those 30 years of auction experience um, and and uh, that that I I think is a tremendous step forward for us, and and in the way the way we are nimble, we're not going to suddenly build out a massive um, uh, American. We're not going to do separate American painting sales, but with Elizabeth, who is very well respected in the field of American art, and you know why not blend in um, Georgia O'Keeffe? for example, in our sales. So we're we, we really looking at, at opportunity basis rather than um, rather than having um, the building out new sale categories. For also making the auctions interesting, you know, making different links with contemporary works to earlier 20th century works. bring up uh, an important development in the market that somewhat comes out of the trend we saw four or five years ago where people were um, beginning to create these mixed sales or, you know these masterpiece sales and then yeah. I think what we discovered with the way that um, Sotheby's has brought Latin American into uh, the uh, you know uh, modern and uh, modern evening sales and the way that uh, uh, Georgia O'Keeffe has begun to appear in those sales uh, as well, that there is a um, broadening out. Uh, then there was that Marsden Hartley that uh, yeah. uh, Sotheby's try, tried to sell. And certainly uh, Ebsworth, 
his collection was defined as an American paintings collection. It happened to have two levels, the American painters who had become world uh, class uh, painters, and then a whole group of uh, American modernists that sold uh, exceptionally well for the most part. And it reminds you that, uh, you know, the, the, the ranks of uh, first class artists uh, aren't as enormous as we think, and the appetite for art keeps looking for unrecognized or underrecognized uh, masters, which clearly uh, it makes sense to look into what used to be thought of as other fields. Um, yes, and I think that you see a similar development in the galleries, right, where where you see the estates going to whether it's Zwerner or Hauser or uh, Gagosian, you know, you, you, you see there is that there is definitely a looking backwards. And I think that we we did that, for example, with you talking about Latin with Carmen Herrera, you know, where we um, I think we sold most Carmen Herrera's so, have the world record and basically suddenly put her in contact with Elswith Kelly. And, and 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 sort of create those links. So I think that makes the um, auctions also more interesting, because otherwise they 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 can become very cookie cutter. And we've seen the auctions also uh, do this interesting thing where there's been demand from Asia for artists we would not necessarily have thought of being of appeal to um, Asian collectors. And I don't just mean the, you know, obviously the Monets uh, and Picassos uh, and, and sort of the um, classics of uh, Western art, but, you know, I think of things like the, the, the Vogue for Giorgio Morandi still lives. Uh, oh, yeah, 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 exactly. You know, that was provoked by, uh, you know, Zhang Fangji, but also really developed some uh, demand there. And, and they're, they're interesting um, uh, new uh, artists all the time that seem to become uh, strong in Asia. I mean, probably the most prominent one right now is Cause, uh, but there's no, there's no reason to think that there aren't a, a many other artists that we don't necessarily even uh, uh, suspect would be uh, appealing to Asian collectors. They've become quite omnivorous and sophisticated. Yeah, and I think that, you know, we we saw that when we had, you know, you, you, you touch on it great, having Morandi and Kors in the same sale. Um, and at the same time, we, we've not... We don't offer sort of a multiple of Morandis in every sale if we feel the quality is there. But if we feel the pieces that were offered are not good enough, then we 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 don't do it. Basically, it always comes back to is the quality there in 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 what we offer and making those connections when we had you know Bradford and Twombly together and sort of making these slightly. Um, um, Artists that 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 maybe in in first sight have nothing to do with each other, but both looked at the street and what was happening there, and one in Rome and one in LA, and put those into context with each other. Um, um, so I think that, but coming back to Asia, I think there's another phenomenon there that that about forty percent of the collectors in Asia are millennials. So. Um, it, 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 so, so you have to cater them in a different way, and um, you know we, we've built we've built a whole Asian 
team with, you know, that didn't exist um, um, when we first arrived. You know, now we have 30 people over Asia. We have a, um, a great um, space in, in Hong Kong. We have a space in Tokyo, we have in Singapore, in Korea. So it's, it's, we've been really focusing on Asia, but our offerings have been quite Western, actually, what we've been offered in, uh, in Asia. And, and combining that with design and photography, um, so it is. Um, uh, so it's it's of extreme importance. And and as you said, collectors today, it's a it's a different group than when we all started, um, or when I started in the early nineties. You you also brought up the millennials. That makes me think too of the um, the middle market, especially for contemporary art. That there seems to be a rising value to the day sales, uh, and I assume yeah. that some a function of you know the art just becoming more valuable, but two of just more interest and competition uh, in that uh, arena. Where there, there people are focusing on um, artists who aren't necessarily, uh, you know, uh, sought after uh, by everyone, but the people who are competing over them are doing it with a fair amount of um, force and, and dynamism. Yeah, we. I mean, and this is funny enough. If you want to measure our growth. I think the day sales are the best um, instrument, basically, or the best sort of baseline. Because, look, before you win the top collections, you're going to win the smaller pieces and smaller collections. And if you see that when we started, we were around 200 lots and about 10 million in a day sale. And now we are about 300 and 40, 350 lots, and we're somewhere between 30 and 42 million dollars. So I think that's where you—that's where we've really seen the growth. Um, uh, and I think that's where you—you know—you—you you, you win those battles before you will win an Appsworth, for example. If 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 you want to win an Appsworth, right? Um, um, so, but but before you win the big collections, that's that's where we really have seen the big growth, and we we um, consciously actually split the sale into an afternoon and a day sale because when we started, it was just one category, it was one catalog. So we split that out, and it's been growing. And um, the team, you know, had by um, Rebecca Bowling and John McCord is just phenomenal, and and they are. You know, if I see that with a you know relatively modest team, we are we're doing great sales and we've had great growth and great success and achieving great prices, but also being supported there by IT. You know, so the, the fact that we're the only ones where you can bid in the app. You know that we've seen that about sixty percent of our lots are basically get mobile bidding. Um, and I, you know, I think that's incredible. Uh, that is interesting. Look, look, just that that figure, the thirty to forty-two, puts you at you know a, a third to half of 
um, the day sale at uh, uh, Sotheby's. And in terms of overall corporate, uh, you know, sales turnover, you you are a much lower proportion than that. So in, yeah. in, in that category, you're getting into a now maybe that's just the overall importance of um, contemporary art in in the broader uh, art market. But still, it is a, you're absolutely right. It is a sign of how far the, the companies come. Yeah, and also because don't forget that in the evening sale, when you suddenly, you know, you you ha- indeed have a bigger gap, but therefore also because you suddenly, you know, we when we don't have fifty million dollar pieces, which tend to be more public private sales, then obviously that that really skews the gap in the numbers, basically. No, no, and that makes sense. Uh, again, we get yeah. back to the balance sheet, right? Uh, yeah. you, you do need to have access to a fair amount of money to even uh, offload those deals, right? You have to be part of uh, that equation, and that's, yeah. that, that's just that's true. that because the kind of property doesn't make sense for uh, your house. Yeah, yeah, that's true. That's, that's totally true. And I think, but over, you know, the, the, I think that's where in the day sales that, that that's really where you see the growth, basically. I think that we, um, as, as far as I know, but you should obviously check those numbers, we, we, we're we close to a billion dollars now, where we were half of that four years ago. Yes. As a house. That's obviously not only contemporary well, art. That, I mean, our colleagues from Watches are tremendous. You know, my, our colleagues from from um, uh, Prince and Multiple, Carrie and, and Kelly. You know, they again they knocked it out of the park. I know their sale was sixty percent was sold online. Uh, Vanessa with her with her photography sale is market share this season. Um, I, you know, I think those departments are examples to us that you that 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 you know that you can lead and that you can build a, um, a great auction under the Phillips brand. And that may be the perfect place to end. <laughs> Thank you for listening to the Artelligence Podcast. Visit us at artmarketmonitor.com. 